0: have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart and close your eyes. Unless you're driving or operating some kind of heavy machinery. So take a deep breath in. And as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your worries go. Let any tension in your body go. And let your past go. And exhale out loud with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of To Be Honest. And of course, a very warm welcome to our first time listeners. And today is part two of Knowing Your Attachment Style. So for listeners who have not started part one, I urge you to do so now uh, because this is a deliberate sequence. Last week, I covered the securely attached style. According to a few studies in the U.S., they are slightly more than 50% of the population. And then 20% of the population has anxiously attached style. And then 25% of our population is avoidantly attached. And today we are going to touch on uh, the 2 to 3% of the population that are in this much less common disorganized attachment category which means that we've got both. It's like we have got anxious and avoidant, and you never know what's going to be set off in this moment. And mind you, this is when we come from a very abusive home, when our caretaker is supposedly to be giving us protection and safety, but they are the ones causing us terror. So, what does it look like in a household for an avoidantly attached? Basically, it's denial of the emotional reality of a child that will do it. Less anxious, but looks more argumentative. For example, a child might say, I'm hungry. And the caregiver might reply, no, you're not. You just ate. Or, I need a hug. No, you don't go outside and play. So it's like constantly arguing of their reality. And after a while, no wonder they don't have any true attunement to their own feelings, thoughts, and emotions, because they were denied the reality of them. So it's just a constant, I'm missing you, I'm missing you, I'm missing you. Oh, I found you. Oh, no. I'm missing you. I'm missing you. So it's a constant struggle. Now, take note. A large majority of parents, we all want our children to succeed and be functioning, independent, wonderful, secure adults, right? And I think many parents, everything that they are doing is intended to do that with that outcome. And unfortunately, A lot of times, we just get it wrong. And there is new research around how insecure attachments are passed down through generations. Well, it makes a lot of sense, right? It's like if my mother was anxious, so they do this with mice. Mouse mothers who don't lick their babies, which is a way of showing affection and attachment in that world, those little mice will grow up, become mothers, and not lick their children either, and on and on until someone breaks the cycle. So if you grew up with an anxiously attached mother, or father for that matter, you are much more likely to then become anxiously attached or avoidantly attached. So it's a generational repetition that keeps happening. Particularly as a child in development years, we are so wired for connection. And because we are so wired to stay in our family system, accept it as normal. This is what love looks like. This is what attunement looks like. We are not cognitively thinking that. We are just feeling into our family system. Why? Because obviously, when you are a child, you cannot rationalize like, oh, my parents is misattuned to me. So we just grow up in these systems and then become adults expected to have adult relationships in the world with absolutely no awareness of the background programming that's running our lives. And thereby, we seek the love we think we deserve, and on a subconscious level, it's in our nervous system we are programmed that way. Let's say if you grew up with half of the attachment system intact, Let's say your mom was there for you most of the time in a healthy manner, but dad was a workaholic and he was never there and you are a cis-hetero female. You might to continue to end up with men who are emotionally unavailable because there was an insecure attachment with dad, not with mom, but with dad. Now, my audience... Take note for avoidant attachment. The advantage of numbness is that it masks as a regulated nervous system, right? So they justify to themselves that they feel fine and not seek help. And I will also say there is a reason why avoidantly, okay? Let's say if you go on dates in the dating pool, avoidantly attached people are actually the most common in the dating pool, and that is for a couple of reasons. For one, they tend to break up and go from relationship to relationship, but also they don't date each other, meaning avoidantly attached people tend to not date avoidantly attached people because there is not enough glue keeping them together. They just go their own way. Therefore, avoidantly attached people, they love anxiously attached people. And that's because anxiously attached people and avoidantly attached people, they prove their own belief systems, which means that avoidantly attached people get involved with an anxiously attached person and they say, aha, you see? attachment is weakness because look at this person they are so needy they are so vulnerable and it repels them so it's like they feed into their distorted belief that see i am right attachment is weak The anxiously attached people, they also get their distorted belief system validated because people are going to leave me. My greatest fear is being alone. And look, you see, that's right. That's true because look at all these people that I have dated that have left me in really terrible, terrible ways where I felt like even less of myself afterwards. So again, we are just validating this distorted belief system that self-reliance is the only way to be. And oh, everyone is going to leave me and I'm going to end up alone. Now, mind you, even the inner mechanism of even if you are not that conscious of it, But the subconscious of I'm going to try to make this avoidantly attached person love me right in the ways that I was never loved by the person that caused my insecure attachment in the first place because the avoidant attachment style seems familiar, and maybe if I'm just enough for this person, then they will love me in the way that would have felt good. If I'm just more, feel free to fill in the blank for yourself. What do you tell yourself? If I'm just more understanding, or maybe more smart, more beautiful, or more hair, Then they would have stayed. They wouldn't have cheated. Then they would. Well, you know, and on and on and on. At this time, you find your brain making up all sorts of stories. Now, my dear audience, it is important for me to talk about what toxicity looks like in insecure attachment. There's basically an insecure attachment cycle that's being played out between the anxiously attached and the avoidantly attached. The insecure attachment cycle is that individuals are magnetically kind of like pulled towards each other because of the belief systems that they both have. So there's a real intensity. And there is this mistaken identity of intensity for intimacy. So in a way, these two people are used to having intensity, the magnetic poles towards one another, the avoidant and the anxiously attached. Now, the avoidantly attached is really great, highly skilled at knowing what the anxiously attached needs are, And they kind of like putting on a mask of I'm really strong, I'm really secure, because there's that independence, right? Of course, as long as they have the mask on, they just seem so strong to the anxiously attached person. There's this sense of like this person is a superwoman or superman. They just have it all together. So the anxiously attached person is really attached to that. Another thing of the avoidantly attached, they don't show any vulnerability like a securely attached person might. So the anxiously attached are attracted to the invulnerability of an avoidantly attached person, mistaken that as being strong. Needless to say, these two attachment styles come together. And it seems like for a little bit, the avoidantly attached is fulfilling all of my needs. But what happens to the anxiously attached person is our world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. It becomes all about, well, let me use the metaphor of capital letters. All of a sudden, their name is in capital letters instead of just regular font. So now they are in Broadway lights, and our life just becomes this small candle that gets smaller and smaller. As our world gets smaller and smaller, and we start neglecting our friends, our hobbies, things that make us us, our needs, our boundaries, our emotions... All these things, the avoidantly attached person is getting kind of icked out, I-C-K-E-D. It's like getting a little repelled, getting a little like, wow, this person is really needy. And then they start fantasizing about the phantom X, that means the one that got away. And then they start thinking about the one, but giving you hints that you are not the one. And so you start noticing the avoidant person pulling away and you want to grab onto them. And guess what? Soon you find yourself having these protest behaviors. And the anxiously attached people, they have these protest behaviors like excessive attempts to reconnect with the avoidant such as calling or texting, wanting them to communicate to what is going on. We're always trying to reconnect with the avoidant. Now, some of the anxiously attached might have some of the following behaviors. There's a sense of acting hostile. When they are talking, they may roll their eyes when they feel in disconnection or they may walk away from the avoidant, or being argumentative, or threatening to leave is another protest strategy that anxious attachment people tend to have. And there is also manipulation that is involved, i.e. I'm not going to leave a message because they ignored my call, or Ignoring their calls, acting busy or unapproachable, even though you aren't in that moment. It's like saying you have plans when you really don't. Just kind of like testing the waters of, can I push them the way that they are pushing me? Kind of keeping score. Another thing that we can do as anxiously attached people is we can try and make our partner feel jealous. So just doing things that might elicit jealousy, just to see, is this person connected to me still? Can I get back to connection with them? But you see, my dear audience, we are immature in the way that we are doing it. God forbid if we tell them our needs because there's a part of us that knows that they probably won't be met. So we are going to try and get those met in another way, thinking we are being smart, right? It's the way we had to do it as children. So of course, we can do it as adults. And I refer that as our old operating system. Maybe we didn't have to do it as children, but in this relationship that we have stayed too long in, now our attachment system has gone from secure to insecure. And now I'm going to try all these other ways to get my needs met. So there you have it, my audience. That's kind of the way that we do that as anxiously attached. And that's our toxic part of the relationship. Now that we have covered the anxiously attached toxic part of the relationship, what about the avoidantly toxic kind of part in the relationship? Since we are running out of time, I will continue next week, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening, my dear audience. I appreciate you. And until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to examine your own attachment style. Bye for now. You can find this podcast to be honest on Apple Podcast, Spotify and my website www.drbarbaraqiao.com D R B A R B A R A K I A O dot o.com